Well, welcome everyone to the Resilient Leadership Podcast, where everything we talk about is aimed at helping you lead with a greater sense of calm and clarity and conviction, even in anxious times. Uh, my name is Irvin Nugent, and as always, I am joined by my esteemed and wonderful collaborator, Bridget Tyre. First of all, I just want to say to everyone, Happy New Year. This is the first episode of 2023. I hope your holiday period was not too stressful and full of time for you to reflect a little bit. And Bridget, how are you doing today? You know, I am doing great. Well, first of all, the sun is shining, and I just, you know, after a period of kind of gray winter days, the sun peeking out, or or actually it's not even just peeking out, it's blue skies as I look out my office window. It just gives me a pep in my step. Mm. So I am feeling energized and hopeful and very excited to dig into this topic, Irvin. So what are we going to be talking about? Well, we've started into a new year. So we thought would be a great topic of stepping into your power. That's what today's title is. And no, the focus of today is uh, the reality that, you know, when we talk about leadership, be that leadership in the workplace, be it leadership in our family or in any social group we're part of, you know, a vital element of leadership is power. And they kind of are synonymous with each other. But today, I think what I want to focus on is our felt sense of power and how it's connected really with how we show up, especially in our body. Mm. and how that sense of power or powerlessness can show up in our body. So, Bridget, you know, we both work with many clients. Is this an issue, do you think, that some of the leaders that you work with struggle with, this uh, sense, sense and issue of power? Definitely. It's kind of interesting because I think the people I coach fall into two very different camps with regard to power. There are those who are conflicted about mm owning their own power. It Mm. it doesn't seem quite right to them. Like maybe, you know, maybe they see themselves as a servant leader and how can you be Mm. a servant leader and wield power? Like they don't somehow go together for that. Right. Yeah. And they're hesitant to step into their ambition as well. Mm. Yeah. And then I coach clients who are in the opposite of that, where their challenge with power is not embracing it. They embrace it. They just don't wield it very skillfully. You yeah. know, they're like a bull in the China shop running around telling everybody what to do. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I think either way, you know, to our listeners, wherever you fall on that spectrum, figuring out how to embrace your power and wield it well is so, so important. And I want to just say, you know, maybe one other thing, Urban, I don't know if you're going to agree with this, but my observation is that Women tend, now this is a tendency, women tend to be in the former category of having more conflict around embracing their power, whereas men, maybe just because they've been at it longer historically, right, tend to struggle less with embracing it. Their learning edge is wielding it skillfully. Yeah, actually, that concurs totally with with my clients. I would absolutely agree with that tendency. and, And I think men almost it's it's don't question it enough it, it's so imbued within them that in many ways they actually have to be invited to think about it where i don't think that is the case with women i think women are, are very clearly always very conscious about that and, and how it's showing up 
Yeah, it's a fascinating topic. And I think one of the questions that hopefully we can shed some light on is how can you embrace and step into your power without making others feel powerless around you? Yes. Right? Because it's not a zero-sum game. Yes. Yeah. So that's interesting to me. All right. So so Irvin, maybe maybe there's some neuroscience that can shed a little bit of light on that question. Uh, yeah. And and also just help us to be a better observer mm-hmm. of, as you said, our own felt experience of power. Yeah. Well, this is one topic where there actually has been quite a lot of research around how does power or felt power impact the functioning of our brain. There's a lot. So I just wanted to kind of throw just a few snippets, which I find fascinating. One is that those who feel power actually perform significantly better on tests. Their executive function performs better. And those who feel powerless actually perform a lot uh, worse. In other words, those who feel power are really able to engage their cognitive functions at a much higher level. And so when you think about that, uh, they're also saying that those who felt power were more creative, could think in a more creative Mm. manner and more abstract. And these are some of the higher functions we expect of leaders, you know, kind of the visioning and the the creative side. And so it's interesting, you know, and and I suppose there's, uh, that seems pretty logical. You know, if you feel powerless, you're in a lot of anxiety and, and you're not functioning at your breast and you're not being creative. You're kind of triggered and you're kind of thinking about where do I go next? So that that's pretty logical, but it's interesting just to, to think about that. The other as well is, and this is kind of a word of warning, I think maybe for that second group you described, Bridget, and that is that power can actually disengage your prefrontal cortex. And from a a wonderful researcher called Dasher Kellner from UC Berkeley has found that, you know, power can make it harder for people to empathize with other people. Mm. And in many ways, it impacts, you know, we've talked in an early episode about the power of mimicking and mirror neurons and power actually can impact that mirroring and make it less strong in people who felt very strong. It's interesting, you know, that there's a vagus nerve that runs from the top of our spinal cord to our abdomen, and that's shown to promote compassion and gratitude and appreciation. In many ways, people who feel a lot of power, that's deactivated. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, you know, this whole, we we have this common thing that the people, very powerful people at times, they've struggled to get to know them and and kind of how they feel, et cetera. And there's something going on within the brain that actually that is very true. And, and so therefore the question is, well, what do we do? I mean, if you, if you, uh, how do you help kind of leaders who feel this sense of power and how do you help them? Because we know engagement is key and critical. And I think a third piece of research can help us with this. And that is that those who are really taught to shine focus Uh, on the needs of others and to improve uh, the social welfare of others or understand others can actually overcome that deficiency. And one of the ways is that to, to think about where you came from your own roots Mm. to know that before you 
had this power as well, you probably had struggle. Mm. And so what we find is that leaders who are able to focus in these areas can actually turn on some of that empathy again and lessen some of that impact of feeling powerful. So fascinating research there. And I know I mentioned that researcher, um, Asher Kellner, and he yeah. talks a really interesting way about power and powerlessness. The language he uses is an approach system. Mm-hmm. So Bridget, I know that you've looked at that as well. Kind of what was, what do you think of that? Yeah. Um, well, I want to speak to that in a second, but what you just said, what struck me about it is that power is a double-edged sword, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. It, it, to be a truly effective leader, we have to embrace our power because it makes us more creative, you know? And as we're going to talk about, it helps us take risks, yeah. It helps us to lead people to new, you know, territories, right? And if we don't do something to counteract it, it can actually cause us to disconnect from people. Yeah. Right? To lose yeah. that sense of empathy. Boy, that is fascinating. Yeah. So, so yeah, that the the research about this approach system I think is interesting, right? So mm. That researcher that you were just talking about, he also writes about how power activates a psychological and a behavioral approach system within us, right? So mm-hmm. if we feel powerful, we also feel free, we feel in control, we feel safe, mm-hmm. and we're not really attuning to or paying uh, undue attention to threats. Actually, we feel pretty positive and optimistic. And so therefore, what do we do? We approach challenge. We lean into it. We look for opportunities that have risk and we feel more confident about taking them, right? So that's, that's huge. And then the reverse is true, that when we feel a sense of powerlessness in our bodies, an inhibition system is activated, where now we, it's like a threat detection system. We've talked about that before. You know, the amygdala is like a threat detection system. Well, if you aren't in touch with your power, Mm. then you are going to see threats more easily and focus on them. And therefore, you you will feel inhibited by Mm. taking on challenges, by, you know, facing into risks. And I just think that's a really powerful thing to be reminded of, right? Power yeah. makes us approach yep. and powerlessness makes us avoid. Yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting. Okay. So, so Irvin, then let's say we are not as in touch with our power as we could be. Yeah. Right. And so how would that maybe show up in some of our behavior? Yeah. It's such an interesting question. And I think, you know, as you look at that, that sense of approach and avoidance, so let me just throw out a few behaviors that I, I notice a lot, especially when someone's felt sense of power is not there. One is this constant comparison to others. And, you know, kind of you make conclusions about yourself, about how you're doing, about how you're acting based on others. And, you know, we've all done it and it's so hard to stop it. And the problem is it begins to drain away your power. Let me just give you an example from my own life, you know? So, so we're, we're both entrepreneurs. We both have our own businesses. And of course you have to build a website and, and part of your, your sales outreach is that you have to have find four or five people who are in your space and kind of like, what's their messaging, et cetera. And of course you do this and it's, it's, it's absolutely critical. You do that. I'm not criticizing that, but 
boy, when you come across someone else in your space and their website is better, that their message is better and what, and you go into this whole comparison and, and here you are, you started with this sense of power, you know, it's kind of, yes, I'm going to have this great website. I'm going to do this great message. And then you, you, then all of a sudden you could almost feel yourself just diminishing before your very eyes. And, and, and it's such a great thing because it just takes the wind out of you and it's such a great experience of kind of what it feels like to feel less power and, and what that does. You know what is occurring to me as you share this is that if we're not in touch with our power, we tend to compare ourselves more ruthlessly to others. Yes, and then absolutely. the act of comparing, of yes. comparing makes us feel even less powerful and it's a vicious cycle. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. A second behavior, and we've talked about that. We've, there's an episode, full episode on this, uh, which you can look at as one of the earlier episodes, but it's on boundaries. And I think people who have a less sense of power are, are really not that good at really creating important boundaries. And I think there's a blur of boundaries. And really, you know, what's what's important about a boundary is it's it's knowing kind of where you end and another person begins. And sometimes when we we lack power, that we're not able to create those healthy boundaries. And it means, you know, taking responsibility for your own actions, for your emotions. And really not taking responsibility for others. And, and, you know, the opposite is true. When someone feels kind of powerful, they're able to say, you know, create, they're able to not only create the boundaries, but they're actually able to enforce them and say, no, actually, that's something, you know, that I'm not willing to go. And, you know, I was just talking to a client, Bridget, the other day, and and they're returning to work, and we're in the mess of, of, of this returning to work. What does it mean? Mm-hmm. Every day is this and the other. And now they're forced to drive into work. And that means, you know, well, I was giving two hours extra in work. I can't do that now. I'm sitting in traffic. You know, and they have a real great sense of their own power. And, and, and they were actually able to have some really, going back to the episode before of Courageous Conversations about creating healthy boundaries that say, you know, awesome. this is two hours that is just not available. And they were able to have that boundary conversation. Mm-hmm. A third one, and you've already alluded to this one, is about decision making. You know, we have used the VUCA analogy before here. We've talked about we're living in, in, in times where there is so much volatility, there's complexity. Making decisions is just not easy as a leader. And at times, this comfort that we can get from having all the data and I've analyzed everything and I'll make a decision, that's just not our reality. And at times, we have to make a decision with maybe 60% of the data. Mm-hmm. And people, I think, who, who have a, a lesser sense of their own power, I find that very difficult. Mm. I think they worry and fret about getting it wrong. And not only that there, but it becomes very personalized. What does this say about me? If I get this wrong, mm-hmm. and I think someone who has a greater sense of personal power is able to say, well, if I get it wrong, you know, I try again and it's okay. Wow. And yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think how they approach that is very different. It's like, is there anything that our felt sense of power doesn't impact? <laughs> yeah, I, absolutely. Yes, totally. It really does. So Bridget, would you add uh, anything else to, to those three? Oh, well, I guess as you were talking, one thing that comes to mind is this issue of confidence mm. and where does the source of our confidence come from when, when mm. we're in touch with our power, it sort of comes from the inside out. And yeah. when we're not in touch with our power, we look to others, right? Mm. We, we need mm. constant reassurance and affirmation from others. 
And that, of course, then makes us feel even less powerful, that vicious cycle, you know, going round and round. I think also people who feel less powerful undervalue Mm -hmm. their time, their expertise, their contributions. They undersell themselves. And consequently, they often don't feel confident advocating, you know, for themselves. They, They just don't have enough confidence. And a sincere appreciation for their own value. Mm. You know, again, it goes back to like, do we overvalue ourselves or undervalue ourselves? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and our felt sense of power has a lot to do with the answer to that. Yeah. 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 All right. So, I mean, gosh, could it be any more clear that stepping more fully into our power is so essential for our happiness, for our success, for our capacity as leaders. But like, how do we do it? How do we do it? Mm. And you mentioned something at the beginning about the body, that there's a connection between power and our body. So speak to that, Irvin. Yeah. So it's interesting. You know, we, we have talked a lot here about cognitive and we've talked about cognitive states, emotional states. And so the question is, is it just about how we think and we feel? And I, and, and I think here, I think not, you know, is power just in our heads? And really, you know, when we think about how we talk about power, there is a physicality in that. You know, we talk about being a force of nature. Or we talk about firepower and horsepower and nuclear power and power cords. So there, there's, there's this sense of, of a physicality and we are physical beings. So it is not surprising, therefore, that power shows up in our own physicality. You know, so as you're listening to this episode now, just stop what you're doing and just look at your body and just notice how your body is. And if you had to describe your body at this moment, how would you describe it? You know, are you relaxed? Are you tense? Are you out for a walk? You know, just, just notice, get in touch with that physicality. So often we have this physical vehicle and so often in the world of work, we appreciate what's from the neck upwards and we we're, we're disengaged at times from what's below our neck. And it's so critically important. Now, one of the most popular TED Talks that has ever been produced is from a researcher from Harvard called Amy Cuddy. If you haven't watched it, I think, please do. But, you know, she's trying to get at this question about, you know, what does our sense of power show up or how does it show up in our bodies? You know, it's interesting. She talks, you know, she goes through the whole animal kingdom and she talks about how in the animal kingdom, how power and body language shows up as dominance. So it's it's one way, and how dominance shows up in our body is we become bigger. So in other words, you know, when you think about it, when you think about people who feel powerful, take up more space. They certainly do. Absolutely. So when you think about, you know, if you're seeing like a gorilla or something, you know, kind of beating the chest and kind of taking up, I, I grew up in a pub, I think many people know, you know, my, my father was really great about knowing kind of maybe when an argument was going to happen, when someone felt powerful over another and they puff themselves up, you know, and they kind of feel more powerful. And that's, you know, part of that reaction of, of feeling, taking more space. And the other is also true as well. When we feel powerless, we take up less space. Mm-hmm. We diminish ourselves. We want to hide. We want to disappear. And what Amy Cuddy says is really interesting. When we're interacting with, there's, there's another person, there's a complementarity going on there. 
that one person takes up one more space and then the other person as well can take up less space. Oh, interesting. Actually. So we have to really be on guard about that. And then the other key thing that, that so often I think we, we miss is that we're used to thinking, you know, I feel a certain way and my body expresses that. Mm-hmm. But what Amy Cuddy also asks is that interesting question is, does our body drive how we feel and the mood that we're in. And I think we can say that, you know, I I do a lot of work around emotions. And what we know is, you know, when something nice happens, we feel happy. When something we feel lost, we feel sad. But if you actually configure your facial muscles into that emotion, you begin to feel that emotion. So our bodies can also drive how we feel. Mm -hmm. So knowing that, Bridget, how might we be able to use that in this notion of using our bodies into perhaps feeling more powerful, especially at times when perhaps that's not the way we feel. Yeah. Well, listening to you, I just started practicing taking up more space physically, right? So I opened up my legs, my stance is a little wider. My hands are on my hips. My chest is open. You know, I just, it was a good reminder, but you know, one thing I want to share that I also think is very interesting is that men and women are socialized very differently around this. Mm -hmm. And so starting at first, if you look at toddlers, boys and girls take up a lot of space, they run around, they jump, you know, they, they don't have any problem taking up space. Their parents wish they would take up a little bit less space, but as they get older, apparently around middle school, Girls start to close their bodies down and fold in Mm. and young boys start to do the opposite. Mm. They start to unfurl and take up even more space, Mm. which I think is interesting. Fascinating. Yeah. So for those of us as parents, that's so important to pay attention to. And yeah, so to your your point and your question, Irvin, there are some really simple things we can do. We We can remind ourselves to do these. We can teach our kids to do these, right? And it's all about taking up more space with your body. And so one of the things that feels actually really energizing and is easy to do, and most of us sit all day long, is just reach around the back of your chair and clasp your hands together, which forces your chest to open, right? Boy, does that feel good. I'm even doing it now and I'm standing and it just feels really good. Mm -hmm. And then to remember then with that throughout the day, particularly in conversation, to keep the chest open, you know, Mm. because that takes up more space and also telegraphs connection and confidence. We've talked so much about breathing. A lot of this comes down to breathing more deeply, which also opens up our chest and allows us to sit or stand tall. So I think that can really be powerfully centering and kind of remind us of our felt sense of power. And then I think this is really interesting, not to just take up physical space, but take up temporal space. Mm. What does that mean? It means that when you're talking, if you're really anxious, or if you're watching somebody else talk, who's really anxious, you might notice they talk, they get really fast, Mm -hmm. you know, and there are no pauses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So pause and allow there to be space that telegraphs confidence and power, right? Mm -hmm. We're taking up temporal space. 
Would you would you add anything? I mean, these are all really great, Irvin. Anything? They're all really great. I, I think it just uh, the, one of the things in which I love what you just said about you know kind of the stretching of the chest as well to realize that the voice is well. You know, so often our sense of power or powerlessness is expressed in our voice. Just hearing someone, you know, we we can sense. And I think, you know, for powerful voices, two things are needed. One is a space. We need space for that oxygen, which we're breathing. We need oxygen and we need space for that oxygen to reverberate. And so often if we're closed and we're not breathing fully, then you've got a double whammy and her voice is weaker. So just the expansion of our body and breathing can really help our voice. And uh, and just to realize as well, we carry so much tension in our jaw mm-hmm. and in our shoulders. Just to be, you know, to stretch, to stretch there, and that can really improve the quality uh, of the voice that we have. Now, this is all great. You know, not, nothing we have said is rocket science here, folks. We all know this. Here's the problem: we don't do it. Right. And so I have a client who who uses her phone. Now, the phone is a blessing and a curse. Here's the curse of the iPhone or, or any phone, any mobile phone. If you ever notice people when they're reading their phone, they're hunched over it. It's awful. We go into a powerlessness pose when, we, when we're on our phone. So, you know, but, but so kind of if you're, if you're reading the phone, kind of extend it in front of you. Kind of try oh, yeah. and avoid, you know, try and avoid kind of that closing in as you, as you uh, look at your phone. But what oh. she does is she sets a reminder every hour. It's a little kind of a reminder. It's an app. And it's just this buzz. And, and she just does a check-in on her posture. Mm-hmm. And I love it. It's just mm-hmm. kind of this little posture check-in. Um, that becomes a habit. The, the other thing as well, a client does, of course, you know, we're, we're so used to having all these Zoom meetings or, or even in person as well, we're around a table and we just, you know, it, it's exhausting and it's exhausting for our bodies. So what they try and do is they try and have walking meetings or a standing meeting. Is there a way yeah, that we it. could have a quick meeting that's standing? So to change that posture. And she said, I've really noticed. She said, there's there's an energy around it that is very different from a seated meeting. So I, I love that idea. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the phone, now that, that has really struck me, Irvin, because you're right. When we're looking at our phones, we are hunched over. And yeah. how, many, how many times a day are we looking at our phones? It's as if we're in our phones. And I never really thought about how just that shapes our body into a smaller, more closed up posture and space. And then how does that affect our sense of felt power? Yeah, absolutely. Ah, I love it. And we do it so, we do it so often, you know, you know, it brings to mind, I love the fact that my client, there's a little bit of ritual and it's almost is creating ritual, creating a practice, Mm -hmm. you know, that can kind of, give you a, a greater sense of power. I grew up playing rugby and it may be a sport that not many people are fully aware of, but if you ever Google or YouTube, Google the All Blacks, they are the most powerful rugby nation on earth of New Zealand. And they have this amazing Maori tradition. It's a war dance. And so basically they do this ritual before the opposing team. And of course they make all these faces, etc. But it's actually a really powerful embracing of your inner power of kind of calling forth this power from the earth that we approach this game with it powerful and then tend to intimidate the others. But, but it's this ritual. And it got me thinking, you know, that we should have a ritual in our lives as well, that we should have touch points where we are constantly monitoring 
this this body that we carry that mm. impacts how we show up that impacts uh, our sense of power and and to really trust our bodies and to trust the message that our body is saying mm. That that's really so fascinating. Well, we've already shared like some really great, I think, practical tips. But do you, Irvin, have one more sort of practice you might leave listeners with? I, I want to try this one. This is one that I use with clients, and they really enjoy it. So, uh, what I do is I invite you to stand, to stand up, and and if you are comfortable to close your eyes, I just want you to go into the storehouse of your memories. And one of the things we know about our memory is that uh, memories that have emotional components or personal components are the strongest. So I want you to come upon a memory where you felt in a moment in your life incredibly powerful or proud. Something happened that you're just so proud about. And I want you to go into that memory. What was happening? What are you seeing? What are you smelling? What are some of the colors around that memory? How are you feeling? Uh, what were some of the emotions? Just feel that pride, that, that, that sense of, of power over everything that you felt. And just hold that and just hold how it feels. And as you come out of that, just be aware of how your body is feeling and little nuances that are happening, how you may have changed subtly in your body. And, and when I look at people, I do this in training. When I look at people, all of a sudden I'll feel people standing a little taller. I feel them being a little open. I'm seeing smiles in people's faces. And so these are amazing touch points that can really help us. So every day we have transitions and maybe if we're transitioning into a situation where where perhaps we don't feel as confident, we feel a little powerless, to actually activate that memory, to activate the power of that memory, and to remind our bodies, you know, of, of how we felt in that experience, uh, can really be helpful as we go through the threshold into, into that, that meeting, perhaps, or that conversation, or whatever it is where we're feeling a little tense. Mm, that's lovely. Thank you for that. I do feel different, you know, as you were walking us through that. I noticed I felt more grounded and more connected to my feet and my mm. legs. And I don't know, just a, my whole body sort of relaxed very naturally into a more open posture. Mm. That's great. Well, Irvin, this has been a fascinating conversation. I have a lot of connections being made. I do think that power is a double-edged sword as we've discussed, right? Yeah. And so we need it. We have to embrace our power as leaders because as you shared with the neuroscience, it makes us more creative. Yeah. It makes us more open to risk-taking. It triggers an approach system within our psychology and within our behavior. And yet power can cause us to disconnect from people too. We can lose mm -hmm. our sense of empathy with others. And in a powerful presence, Sometimes others start to feel less powerful, and that's certainly not what we want. Yeah. So we have to work on embracing our power and staying connected to others. And at the end of the day, and we've said this before, sometimes the simplest way to make a powerful change is through the body, yeah. right? And to take up more space. It's a shortcut. It's a powerful one, and it works. Mm -hmm. 
So thank you so much, Irvin, for this conversation. And to our listeners, if you know you know of somebody who is a leader and who struggles to get that their relationship with power just right, share this episode. And what's on top for next time is certainly something that requires us to be in touch with our power. And that's the art of self-advocacy. How do we become a potent advocate for ourselves? Mm. So that's what's on tap for next time. Irvin, thanks as always for your conversation and for your thoughts. Loved it. Likewise, Bridget. I appreciate it. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye now. <laughs>